Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Good evening and welcome to the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. And it is great to have you with us tonight for Breaking the Silence. And you're here in my home and we're going to have an unbelievable guest here shortly that you are going to absolutely want to write down the name of this book. And before, even during the commercial break, buy this book and start reading it tonight. It'll be one that probably you need to get several copies to give to some of your friends, some of your family, some of the individuals that you know that's going through things in their life that this may be able to help them. And it is an excellent, excellent resource. So I'm anxious to to bring the guest in. We can get involved in the program tonight. First of all, welcome to 2024. Thank you for allowing me to have a couple of repeats the last couple of weeks. I really didn't know if anybody would be here on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve to talk with me live and listen to me live. So I just let uh, the radio station pick some good shows of uh, past shows that we've had, and they picked out some awesome ones. And I want to let you know, uh, next week, we had a guest on a few weeks ago, Scott Hamilton, and he was uh, the son of a mafia member um, and knew all about the JFK assassination and all the, the different Chicago mafia turmoil and gangs, and his dad was an upper in that whole category, and he came in late because he forgot or couldn't have problems with technology or something to get on the show. So we asked him to come back, and he readily agreed and, and happily did that, and he will be with us next week. We'll have a full hour with Scott Hamilton, and I have been getting requests out uh, the kazoo, uh, whatever that means, uh, to have him to come back on because he, when he opened his mouth, wisdom just poured out, and it was just a great, great program. So he will be with us next week. Uh, but welcome to 2024 with our first live program uh, this year. And uh, go Texans. Uh, looking forward to this football season as we go into uh, the final days before the Super Bowl. I don't know if the Texans will be there for that, but at least you get to play and dance uh, for a little while longer. One more game, uh, even uh, one more be more than what I ever dreamed they would have. But just uh, tonight, if you want to get involved with our conversation, there's two or three different ways to do it. Okay. Uh, you can get right on the Shattered by the Darkness uh, Facebook page. I'm looking here. We are live right there. My son, Curtis, 
Uh, the United States Army is running that for me because I don't even know how to get on to Facebook. Uh, so he's taking care of all that for me. Uh, and you can also call directly live to the radio station that they will patch you through right to our guest and myself at 888-627-6008. And TJ with that wonderful radio voice will answer the phone, BBS radio, and he will patch you right through to us tonight. And you can ask your questions if you want to have or comment about the program this evening. So uh, feel free to do that. 888-627-6008. Or I'm also goofy enough to give you my private cell phone number, 832-396-6525. If you want to, you can even text me. And during the commercial break, I will look at all my texts. And if you have a question, I'll be glad to patch it in that way. Does it get any easier than that? Oprah, don't even let people do that. Uh, but we do here. Uh, so just welcome to the program tonight. It's great to have you. I want to just let you know just a, a, a couple things tonight before we start. I always try to let people know maybe what I'm experiencing or what I've dealt with this week, maybe a lesson that I've learned or two. Um, I've learned things in the last few weeks and over the holidays about relationships. And relationships uh, are hard to accept at times. But in the end, I have found it to be a great benefit of recognizing how to weed out those relationships that do nothing but choke out life in you. And I just wanted to pass some information on. Every now and then, we need to recognize that you're better off without some people in your life. You're better off with friends that are true friends. And when you have to start compromising yourself and your morals for the people around you, it's probably time to start thinking about changing the people around you. If someone continually mistreats you or pushes you in the wrong direction, have enough respect for yourself to walk away. Hey, it's going to be all right. You will be okay and far better off in the long run. And even sometimes the best relationships don't last forever. So don't, don't hurt for that, uh, but be thankful that you have the right relationships now. But when they have to move on, allow yourself to be open enough to share some new life experiences for yourself. True friends are those who lift you up when no one else notices that you are even down. I don't even know if you heard that or not, but true friends are the ones that reach down and help you up when other people don't even notice that you're down. And one loyal friend is worth more than a thousand false ones. Some relationships will be blessings. Others are only there to serve as a lesson to us and for us to learn from that lesson. When things in times get tough in life, some people will leave you. I think we have to have the capacity to be able to love, show grace, forgive. But if it's a continual process, a continual never-ending circle, and they always want to push you in the wrong direction and give you the bad advice and say the wrong things, it's time to sit back, take a breath, take a couple steps back, 
and reach for the real ones because the false friends sometimes are there to teach us and to let us recognize who our real friends actually are. And I think in our deepest times in our life, the times when we need a friend the most, the times when we need somebody to be there. Now, now wait, we're going to hear about this tonight. I really believe, I hope we go there for a little bit this evening with our guest. A true friend doesn't have to come in with all the answers. A true friend just needs to be there. Their presence, their their comfort, their hug, just sitting there. And sometimes the most powerful people that has ever walked into my life wasn't the ones that came in and tried to tell me what to do, were the ones that just came in and put their arm around and kept their mouth shut because I needed that extra heartbeat in my zone, in my feeling of that moment at the time. Those are the friends that know enough to be there, the ones you want to hang around and the ones that you want to invite more into your life. That's just some wisdom this evening. Uh, I'm not sure how good it was, but there it is, okay? 888-627-6008. I didn't want to go too long tonight because I have a guest that's going to be able to speak four hours on this if we had the time. Theo Boyd, a fellow Texan up in Whitney, I believe, Whitney, Texas. And uh, she is our guest this evening. She has a story that every person that's listening to this and every person that you know needs to read. Um, I don't say that about every book on here uh, that I have the guest on, but this one is a book that every person needs. Her book is titled this and write it down and we bring her on. I want the first thing her to do is pick up that book and show it to us. My Grief is Not Like Yours by Theo T-H-E-O Boyd, B-O-Y-D. And it is my distinct pleasure to welcome Theo to the program tonight. Theo, can you hear me all right? Yes, I hear you great. How about me? Yeah, you you look great. You sound great. And I want to see this great book. Here it is. There it is. Yeah. Beautiful. Is the cover of the book the actual farm or is that a stock photo? It is a stock photo that looks identical to my great-grandparents' old barns that are on our farm now. And we just had some trouble with the real photography of it, so we found this one, and you can't tell it apart. That is great. And there's nothing like real barns on a farm, right? Uh, exactly, yes. And we actually got an award a few weeks ago from the American Book Awards for the cover. It's beautiful. Um but more importantly, the book itself. Theo, have you ever written before? Have you ever, is this your first book? This is my first book, but I've been writing my entire life. I was actually a creative writing teacher at a high school just about an hour north of here in Waxahachie, Texas. Waxahachie, I've been through there many times. So was it easy to bleed on the page? Or was it something that really was difficult for you? And then here in a minute, I want you to just share the story. But when you started opening up, did you find out, hey, this is therapeutic or this hurts or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. After my mom's accident, I just started journaling and 
one of my girlfriends walked past my desk one day and she read a couple of paragraphs and she said, you have to write a book. And I'd not really thought about that. And then as I did start thinking about that, you know, when somebody puts that little thing in your head and it starts to whisper to you, I realized there's not a lot of resources out there for complicated grief or, you know, traumatic loss. So I had been hit pretty hard. So I needed to write a book that hit me as hard as I've been hit. And I decided to write it. And as I was writing through all the layers of all the different griefs over the three years, I would find that as I was typing, I would look down and my hands would be wet with with liquid. And I'm like, what is this? And I realized I've been typing for three or four hours and crying the whole time. And I didn't even realize. So I was healing in my typing and in my writing. And you know, Theo, you actually feel that from somebody that had never had the privilege of meeting you until right now. Uh, I can, I can feel your heart in the words. There's nothing better than that. That is such a gift that you have in the way you're relating the story. Um, keep writing because so it's going to keep blessing people. I'm so glad to hear that. And you know, that's right now what fuels me even more is knowing that my healing and my writing of what was going on and these strong characters that built me, and that is now healing others. So I like to say that my parents lived extraordinary lives. They died in extraordinary ways, and their testimony is still living on. They're still helping people even in their death. Yeah, it seems like now as you look back, if I, if I had to, you know, as a counselor, I always go back to what is it, Elizabeth something Ross that did the, the grief stages way back, I don't know, years ago. And that's about the only book that I ever refer back to and say, hey, maybe you ought to read this and see if this will help. Your steps on grief, your uh, acronym of grief is unbelievable and powerful. And it almost takes all of those that we learned in college in psychology class and goes, okay, wait. We have another another era of how to deal and understand and face grief. Well, I just felt like, you know, society <laughs> tends to hold back. They tend to shy away from things. And there was even some pushback at, at certain points in the writing from my editors and the publisher, a little bit of pushback on some things. And one of them was the title of one of the chapters. And I said, well, have you read the chapter? And they had not. I said, well, I strongly advise you to read the chapter and you'll realize why I cannot change the title of that chapter. And I didn't want to write a book that was just butterflies and rainbows because grief is not that. Grief is ugly. It's that coat of black paint that pours over you that I talk about in the book. It's it's horrible. It's a new counterpart that we have to learn to live with. So I wanted to speak to that because I knew if I was feeling that way and needing to be heard, which I can talk more about that, then there's got to be a million other people out there feeling the same way that I am. Was that chapter the F chapter? Chapter three. Yeah. Uh, I've read every word of that chapter. Uh, and every word of every chapter, because it was an easy read. It was not easy to read, but it was one of those things that when you started reading it, you didn't stop. You just straight through. That's um, what I've been told by a lot of people. They've said it was, um, they're not a reader. They don't read anything but little magazine articles, but they read the book in one night. And there's no greater compliment to me than to know that my words were easy for people. And it is an easy read on a hard subject. 
Yeah. Tell me as we go into this story, you know, because I want to give you all the time you want. Um, tell me about your life, your mom, your dad, your farm, and what was it like uh, briefly, and then go into this date in July and how that one day changed your life and it dominoed into so many others. Well, growing up as a little girl on the farm was magical. I mean, I, at that time, I didn't think so. <laughs> you know, I used to get upset when daddy wanted me to go help pick watermelons and cantaloupes and it was 110 degrees on top of sandy soil here in Hill County, Texas. I didn't want to do that. It was sticky and yucky and I just wanted to stay home with the air conditioner running. But now looking back, I realize how blessed I was to grow up on a small peanut farm in North Central Texas and to have such strong characters as my mother and father my dad is this six foot four charismatic individual, pastored a Bible church for 33 years. And I like to think of him as the Michael Landon of our area from Little House on the Prairie. I, I tend to reference that a lot, but that's just how I felt. And it's what I grew up on. And my mother was this beautiful, elegant, petite um and deaf. She was deaf from a young age. At 18 months old, she lost her hearing from a high fever. It was similar to that of Helen Keller's, but not, not scarlet fever. And it bore its weight in her ears, forever taking away her hearing. So she was profoundly deaf. She didn't speak or communicate other than with hand gestures and body language until she was 10 years old. And at that time, my grandparents sent her away to Waco, which was about two hours away, to live with some dear friends of theirs and learn at a special school how to communicate. And at that time, they were not teaching sign language as much. So she did learn to use her voice box and she was a great communicator. And she was given a hearing aid, which gave her about 5% hearing. So if that helps anybody realize how deaf she was, the hearing aid only gave her 5%, but she was an excellent lip reader. So I've got this strong, wonderful mother that not one day did she ever complain and this strong charismatic father these great fundamental characters that have shaped me and given me the foundation that I have that I that I believe has helped me now to go out and be able to speak of this so freely to help other grieving individuals and those that are helping grieving individuals All right I tell you when you started describing your mother and you said that she had the glamour of Eva Gabor, and then the uh, the personality or something like of Audrey Hepburn and Jackie Kennedy. It's like wow, that, that's pretty heavy hitters. Uh, she was once beautiful lady, very beautiful. And Daddy, he he was such a comedian. He loved to be funny, and he always said, "I'm so tired of people thinking that Sue is my daughter." <laughs> <laughs> now is that your daddy in the picture behind you? Is that you beside him? That's me and daddy. Mama made my dresses and she made sure, you know, I have a lot of pictures of me and daddy on the farm and not as many of me and mama because she took all the pictures and I'm right. sure people out there can relate, but that's me and daddy after a load of watermelon and cantaloupe picking and we've got our hands and I wanted to be just like him. I wanted, I was a daddy's girl, 100%. And he's got a big, I don't even think they grow watermelons that big anymore. And then I've got my little one there. <laughs> That's beautiful. How old were you when this accident happened? 47. Uh, okay, 47. 47. 
Okay. Um, do you care to to let our listeners know um, how this happened and, and what happened and then the preceding events? Well, um, you know, a lot of people say, give me the synopsis of your book. And so that's very hard in my situation. But July the 29th, 2019, I got a phone call, the phone call. And those of you that have experienced traumatic loss, you know what I'm talking about. And the phone call that forever changed my life. And once I got to the farm, I learned that my father had accidentally run over my mother with one of the farm tractors. And I, you know, of course, at at that point, I kind of don't remember the next few hours, but I did recount it as best I could in my journaling and in my book. But my parents were six months shy of their 50th wedding anniversary. And so rather than planning the wedding anniversary celebration, we transitioned to planning for a funeral. And then a few months after that, my counselor, who was also a dear friend of 18 years, she died suddenly. And she had been counseling my dad and I through complicated grief, which is now known as prolonged grief disorder. And we'd made it through that counseling. And I'm so thankful that she was there and trained in that specific type of counseling for us. But yet that was another loss. And I had to call my dad. I remember just dreading telling him that Gail had passed. And then a few months after that, I learned that my husband had been having an affair. So my marriage began to crumble and we got a divorce. So there's another grief in divorce. And those of you that have experienced that know what I'm talking about. That is a true grief. And then the um, the last part I'd say of the book is I went to check on my father, Father's Day morning of uh, June 19th, 2022. And I found he had taken his life. How does all that land in you to be able to keep some type of, and, and as you, you did this beautifully in the book, you talk about how did you retain normalcy? And I think you even would probably, you should chastise me now if I read, since I read the book, there is no normalcy anymore. There is no such thing as normalcy and never will be normalcy when you go through this kind of tragic um events and grief um did did faith have any foundation on this um since your dad had that did did friends how did you maintain from day to day and i'm sure hour to hour did your sister and you just bond together like i'll get how did you make it through it with that kind of hit Well, that would be the F words, friends, family, faith. And I'm not going to lie to you there for a time right after my mother's accident. It was the night of her accident. I started, I heard my dad saying horrible things, words I'd never heard come out of this man's mouth, a preacher, a hero to me. I'd never heard words like this. And I talk about that in the book. And I text my counselor and she texted me right back. And I was so thankful. She told me some of the, the best words I've, that have stayed with me. She said, let him say the words that he needs to say. Those are the words that carry the weight of his pain. As a society, I think we shy away and we don't let our grieving individuals be grieving. We don't let them be sad. We don't let them be heard. And we think, oh my goodness, they're losing it. They're 
you know, I'm not saying go in a room full of kindergartners and start cussing, but I'm saying that if somebody is experiencing a loss in a way that you don't recognize or understand, it's okay. Let them grieve the way that they need to. There's no blueprint for grief and they've got to deal with it the way that they need to. So faith, um, during that time, I lost my faith because here was my dad right under, right under Jesus in my book was daddy. And I thought if he doesn't believe and he's cursing God, then there must not be a God. And I did it for a short time, lose my faith. But the wonderful thing about that is that he had me the whole time. It's okay that I lost my faith. He can handle that God, but he had me the whole time. And no matter how much I tried to deny him, I would see signs, which is going to be my second book, all these signs that he was still in control and he still had me. And I felt I felt like his presence was there. So now I have nothing but to share that with other people. God's got you. And you will hear people say, God won't give you more than you can handle. But that's actually not even biblical. God, God will give you more than you can handle. And my father is proof of that. But it is still part of his plan. Yeah, that's the Bible verse. It's about sin. God will never lead you into temptation or right. give a sin that's in your path that you cannot overcome. And then people have rewritten that, and that's completely out of context. You're exactly right. Because yeah. I can't I can't make it a day without God. You're right. And I'm just so I'm thankful for my salvation and knowing that he had me the whole time. But but I don't want a lot of people and act like I've been floating through this. No, I, I didn't pray. I didn't want to hear a Bible verse. I I was just like, forget it. There must not be a God because how could this happen? How could my father be the tool that, you know, that was used for the death of my mother in such a horrific way? Why? But then if we look at examples in the Bible, it's never been an easy road for those that served him. And so my faith was number one in helping me. My foundation, these F words, my friends, I like to call my friends, my fairy blonde mothers, They were there for me whenever something bad happened, they magically appeared and they were there to hold me up. So like you were talking earlier about relationships, I want to talk about grief will separate the children from the adults and you will find out who your true friends are. And you have to lean on those true friends because they are there to hold you up. So do not be afraid. Do not be ashamed. Use them. Lean on them because they held me up and got me through. Theo, in your life, in your upbringing, in your friendship inner circle, were you always the one that was the strong one? And or I don't know. I'm just asking. Was you seem to be the strong one and never really, you know, but then when the bottom fell out, how difficult was you to lean in to your friends for that comfort? Well, you, you got me pegged. <laughs> I um, I've always been a type A personality. Everything has to be done. I've got to be on time. Got to be up. You know, I used to get up two hours before the bus would pick me up for school to make sure I had my hair and makeup and everything perfect. So I was always that person. I have it planned out, and everything has to go just so. But you know, I've learned now to give myself some. I like to say grace and grief. And we all need to do that as grievers. I'm still a griever just because I'm here talking about it. And I wrote a book. It doesn't mean I'm not still hurting inside. 
you know, and I, I did a post just the other day about how a griever looks the same most of the time from the outside. The world sees us, oh, they must be fine. They're doing great. They look the same. They're back at work. They've got makeup on. They left their house. They're getting gas. They're good. Deep inside, we're still shattered, especially those from a traumatic loss. We're still broken and shattered and hurting, and we're still grieving and always will be. So that new counterpart is with us. And I talk about that counterpart in the book, which is grief. And you've just got to learn to live with it. And I believe that chapter is called The Ring. And, you know, you it's about bouncing around on the ropes and learning how to fight back. Yeah. And, you know, once once that champagne glass or water glass hits the concrete and shatters in pieces, it never can be put back together again in the same way. That's why the normalcy is gone. You know, I've never liked that term new normal. Ever since somebody told me I'd have to find a new normal, I just thought, well, I don't like that. And my counselor never used that term. And so I'm not going to use it. And I talk about that in the book. So those of you out there, if you have found your new normal, that's great. But don't think that somebody that's grieving right down the road is going to find the type of new normal that you have. And I just like to think of it as learning to live again. We're learning to live with that new counterpart. And I'm going to explain the title. I feel like this is a great point to do that. The title of my book. I did not change that from the moment I very first started journaling. What happened was after my mother's accident, a lot of great friends and family would come and they are going to offer unsolicited advice, right? I know that y'all out there listening know what I'm talking about. And that's great. And they're trying and they're wanting to help. But what happens when you offer a freshly grieving, especially a freshly grieving individual, that type of unsolicited advice is you just kind of push them further down into their darkness unknowingly, but you're not allowing them to be heard. And, you know, when somebody's telling me how they lost their mom and my mom's just gotten, you know, run over by a tractor, it's very hard to relate I didn't want to talk to anybody that hadn't lost their mother the way that I'd lost my mom. And I felt like she was unheard and I was unheard. Her life must not have meant anything because I can't even talk about it because everybody just has to offer their comparison. So the words that kept echoing over and over in my head were my grief is not like yours. So I titled the book that not so that people would get my book and read about my grief, but so that they could put their grief on the pages so that they could write in their pain on the page. And that's why after every chapter, I ask the questions back to the reader relating to that chapter so that they can journal and we put the lines in there so they can journal in this book and make it their own. So we all live, we all are born, we live, we die, we grieve, but my grief is not like yours. And we have to stop categorizing death And the people that die and realize when that person was alive here with us on earth, they had their own unique DNA. They were a unique individual. As a school teacher, we were urged to modify the lessons for each unique student and to treat them individually. But yet in death, society will just tend to categorize, well, uh, died of cancer. Oh, they died in a car accident. But we don't need to do that. We need to let the grieving community be heard. And the best way to do that is one of the chapters in the book called In the Room. And that is to be present. 
and I can stop right here because I feel like I'm talking too much. No, that's great. We're going to take a break, but I want everybody to hear the quote again, if you were, because that's one of the things I have written down. Say the words that hold the weight of your pain, no matter what the words are. By Counselor Gail, I believe. Gail's her name, right? Yeah. Yes, Gail Frazier. Yeah, unbelievable. Tell you what, 888-627-6008. We're going to take a real short break. It's about 60 seconds long, uh, a minute 10. Uh, we'll be right back. On the other side of this, I want to find out what I, when I read it, I thought, oh, my God, portion of the chapter. When you and your sister are out looking at the tractor, you sneak away, and you're out there alone, and you see your mom's hair on the tractor wheel. I want to talk about that. And I want to get every bit. I want to drill down as deep as I can inside of your spirit on this one to find out how did you react to that and how you found comfort in that. I don't understand, but I want to. We'll be right back after this short, short commercial break. Get on the phone and tell people, hey, you need to listen to the last last segment. It's going to be awesome. We'll be right back. Publishing that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years, and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back. I'm honored to have Theo Boyd with us tonight. I tell you what, that first half hour just flew by. I only got through like two or three of the things I wanted to talk about. I have about 15, 20 more. So we're going to have to have you come back, Theo. Uh, but I tell you what, when and then in the comments I'm getting on the phone are, are just unbelievable. People saying this is a great show. Thank you. I'm learning so much. So let, let's let's keep going. When when you were dealing with all these friends and, you know, the in the different types of grief, and the title of that book is My Grief is Not Like Yours is so appropriate because your dad was the one driving the tractor. That just doesn't happen. This isn't something like, uh, oh, they, they got sick and passed away. Um, there had to be an extra layer and an extra depth of hurt, pain, of not only watching your your dad, which was this light in your life uh, grieve because he lost the love of his life but knowing he was the one that was in the accident that caused that what extra amount of emotional gasoline was poured on that you know the night of my um, mother's 
visitation. By the way, she was 74 when she passed, and they had such a great testimony in this community that it was standing room only at the funeral, a thousand people lying outside the funeral home for visitation. I think we greeted people for over three hours, but I told so many of our friends and family that night that I lost daddy during that accident as well. He died that same, that same moment that my mother died. How, how did he deal change? Um, because of that incident, because of that accident. You know, he's such a strong individual. And now looking back, I just can't even touch on how strong he was because he kept going for me and my sister, my daughter, my two nephews. And there were times in the next three years that we would see him laugh and smile, but it was never the same. And Gail had told me early on, my counselor, Gail, she said, you need to quit thinking that you can bring happiness back to your dad. You need to just make sure he's safe and know that he's loved, but you can't bring happy, true happiness back to him. And he did have white matter disease, which is a form of dementia, which affects the mobility. And so he was starting to lose more mobility, which for an extrovert, which me and my dad very much are, it was very hard for him. And then COVID came along and that was just crushing because people couldn't even come visit my dad. So his isolation, the thoughts, the disease of white matter, the Everything was just like the perfect storm in his life. And, you know, looking back, I don't understand why a man that served God his entire life got saved at the age of nine, how how this could have happened. But now I'm starting to see the verse Romans 8, 28 that I reference in the book, all things work together for good to them that love him. And that was my dad's favorite verse. And so I realize now that this was such a part of God's big plan. My parents are now helping thousands through the story and what I was able to write about them in the book. And I, I don't want to be flippant with it, but do you feel that they're helping of such a multitude of people that they would have never been able to reach out to in any other way or have the kind of impact that this story has? You know, we, throughout the years, the church, we supported missionaries across the world as much as a small little country church could. I think at the most, we had about 50 members at one time. And now I realize that my parents, you know, reaching out through those missionaries, but now we're reaching out, you know, I think I had an article come out in Australia and in the UK, I've had several articles come out. So they're all over the world, this story and the people out there that are getting to know Joe, Bob and Sue. Yeah, and, and in, in a beautiful way. And you know, some people think the only way that we can, and and i got to be careful how I say it, uh, sometimes through death, the impact can be such a life-changing message for other people and how you and your sister dealt with it and are dealing with it and wow. have turned that pain into something positive for other people probably is some kind of healing salve. Is it not for you? You can do start grief. You can get in the bed and the covers and not do anything with it. And that's okay for a time. But I urge the people out there that are in that state 
to think about what would happen if you do the other thing that you can do when you're grieving and take the loss and that person and make them proud with something that you can do to help others through that. So I've turned my misery into my ministry and I'm just so thankful that I learned to write from this man who wrote poetry about the farm and nature. And I learned, you know, how to love the word on the page and how to pour your heart onto the page and in such a simplistic way. So it's not, you know, I tell everybody all the time, I'm just a farm girl. I'm not a counselor, a doctor, a psychiatrist, a nurse, a psychologist, a therapist. I'm just a farm girl. And I was baptized by fire, so to speak, on the subject of grief and in very in various ways. You know, I've got trauma and suicide and and divorce. So even though you're not a psychiatrist, doctor, counselor, your acronym of grief was eye-opening to me. And I thought I knew a lot about grief. Uh, I I have been trained in that, Uh, but I love it. Do you know that by heart or do I need to recycle that back to you? You may have to help me a bit. I know it was gut-wrenching. Yeah. And um, what what was my R? I can't remember. Raw. Explain that. Explain how grief is raw and how you experience that rawness. It's just, it's bare bones. It's, it's the cut with the salt poured into it. It is so vulnerable if you let it and raw in the sense of agonizing. And I, I just feel like out there, the books and the resources that we have are great. Don't get me wrong. I've read so many of them, but I needed one that spoke to me in that specific situation of the traumatic loss and the way that it happened and the rawness and not to be too much butterflies and rainbows because it's not. And I think the more that you try to spread that onto a grieving individual that's hurting and in the way that I was, the more you push them down and they feel unheard. And then, so we had gut-wrenching, raw, indescribable, everlasting. And I think the last was F and I wanted to say the bad word right there. Right. (laughs) But yeah, it's that acronym is exactly, and it took me probably two seconds to write that because that's just how I was feeling. Now, Dio, let me, let me talk to your heart for a second. Do you still, uh, a few years later, do you still go through those raw days? Uh, and when does those raw days typically pop back up in your life? Because you're not completely healed from this. None of us completely healed from it. Uh, you can't be. So when do those raw days tend to rear its ugly head? Well, the days of the accident, the anniversary days, of course, you know, the smells are the same outside, the smell, the dirt, everything looks the same, the sun's setting in the same place at that time of year. So those times of year are very hard. And those grievers out there listening, you know what I'm talking about, the day, that's when your new calendar starts. And that's the day that everything revolves around. But, you know, my dad said after mama's accident for the next three years, I heard him say very quite often, he would say, I'm okay, but I'm not okay. And I'm okay if I don't think deep. 
And I know exactly Ooh. what he was talking about. He said, I'm okay if I don't think deep. Well, I'm a feeler and daddy was too, but I, I can imagine with what he had seen and what he'd experienced there that he didn't need to think deep. And especially with his white matter dementia, but with me, I, I can think, I can think deep and I can go to that place and listen to the songs and think about it. But at that same time, I have to remember that I, I feel like I'm on a mission now and I've got to help others. So I, I, I can't let myself get down in that. And I would urge people out there, if you're in the bed, that's fine, but tomorrow's another day. So try again and get out there and see what you can do because there's, new relationships to be had and there's new people along your new path that you could help. Was the holidays tough? You know, holidays are always tough. And where I found my release and my therapy was helping others through my social media and the videos that I would do and things I would just think of at the last minute and making some of my mom's favorite recipes for the holidays and getting to be with my daughter that, you know, all those things, you have to make some new memories, but I want to let people know when you're grieving, you feel like you're leaving your loved one behind if you move forward, but you're not, you're bringing them along with you. Oh, that's powerful. That's powerful. And I think it's even comforting for me uh, to see at the back of the book, some of those recipes in there. It was an honor in memory of celebration. Hey, this is my mom. And I love the way you, you completed that, that circle and, Hey, here it is. Oh, that was beautiful. I just love recipes. I would love to write a recipe book, but you know, <laughs> mama was a great cook and baker. You know, I think I'm running about a close second now, but she's just, she was such a phenomenal machine. We called her in the kitchen. So I, I had to include those recipes. Yeah, that's great. Um, what about the difference and then the similarity? the pain and the hurt of that other D, divorce. Well, I've heard, and I've gone through, I've experienced, sometimes divorce can be harder than death. Do you believe that? Absolutely, because the person's still living and you feel like you were rejected and not chosen. That's very hard. And you're being ripped apart and it, it is very difficult to think that the one person you had to confide in has betrayed you. That's, that's very hard. And, you know, people grieve in different ways. So oh. I know that grief brings everything to the surface. So don't think that, that things, you know, were just great before. Grief just brings it all up. And in that same aspect, I want to share that Gail shared this with me. So I'm going to share it with your audience if you're not dealing with your grief, your grief will eventually deal with you yeah. and it will come back in the form of a great depression, you know, and Gail was very concerned because I am a strong individual and I was so intent on worrying about my father and everybody else. She was very worried that I wasn't dealing with my grief. So that's why she urged me to start journaling, which I did. And she said, I'm worried that one day, and who would have known she wouldn't be here, but maybe she did. She said, I'm worried that one day you're not going to have dealt with your grief and it's going to deal with you. And I don't want you to go through that. So grief brings it all up, but losing a spouse is, it is very difficult. All of a sudden you're on your own. You got to learn, you know, to do things a different way. 
And it, that was very hard. The diets. I think you had uh, the uh, the three diets, the death diet, the divorce diet, and the discovery diet. Where did you come up with that at? Well, just out of my head. I, <laughs> I just was like the D diets because it happens. You know, everybody was eating after my mom died. That was the big thing. You know, here in Texas, you take food. And yeah. it was it was almost offensive to me that people could eat when my mom was not here and she couldn't enjoy food anymore. And I didn't understand well, how can they eat and I lost about 23 pounds in 30 days. And I realized that food is not so much just fellowship, but it's nourishment for our bodies. And for you to heal, you need that. So I did start eating, like I talk about a sandwich and start eating a little bit to just get my, my energy back to be able to help my dad and drinking water. You know, my gosh, I was so thirsty. And I learned that through trauma and your adrenaline, adrenal glands that you get more thirsty. And all I just craved was water all the time. And so the D diets, you may eat a lot. My, my sister and I are very different in our grief. She was wanting to eat everything and I didn't want to eat anything. So I talk about food and the sustenance and what we need to survive. And I talk about how that food plays a role. And then you might go through it again with grief and I'm sorry, with divorce. And then you're going to go through um, the discovery diet is the best one. That's when you really discover who you really are after all these things have happened. And you start to savor the bites and really feel and smell and taste the food the way it's meant to be for our bodies. That's great. And I love how you have that chapter. And then all of a sudden you go, and maybe it's before this, that one, uh, about the sleep represents two things. And you say an escape from your pain. And then knowing when you wake up, there's going to be more intense pain in its place. Explain that and how you deal with that sleep in the and the effects of that. You know, in grief, just your normal thing become complicated. And uh, just sleep. Sleep was just something I dreaded. But at the same time, I craved it because I was so exhausted. But by the time I would finally let, I think I talk about the black paint and I let the brush down and I fall asleep. And then I wake up to that figure in the room that's going to punch me in the gut and I, I just dreaded waking up because those first few seconds, you still think everything's the same. And then you realize, and then there's that punch to the gut that nothing is the same. Your world's turned upside down. So sleep was very difficult for me. And um, in the podcast that I had, I would ask people that were grieving, how did they sleep? Because I was just so concerned and inquisitive about how how do you sleep when you've lost someone it's so hard and for me I took some family leave from school after my mother's accident and I was able to stay with my dad for about six weeks to make sure he was okay so I slept there in my mom's place with my dad and just being in her spot was so gut-wrenching and hard because I wanted to make sure he was okay but at the same time, I'm kind of needing to grieve my mom and I'm not able to because I've got to be there for my dad. So after my dad passed, it came to me almost the three years of sleep that I'd missed. And I started sleeping a lot. And I realized I'd been holding out that whole time, making sure my dad was okay. 
And I was grieving my mom for the first time after my dad died. So I grieved them both at the same time. And that kind of came out in my sleep. Wow. I'll tell you what, I promised everybody at the commercial break that we were going to talk about this. We only have a minute or two. So uh, I want to just throw this out. When you and you and your sister went to the tractor, uh, we have two minutes left, went okay. to the tractor and they found, you found your mom's well, beautiful strands of her beautiful hair. You know, in traumatic loss, you want to know, you want to know the details. You want to know that your loved one didn't suffer. You have so many questions. And my sister and I just had so many questions like, how did this happen? And we couldn't ask daddy. We didn't want him to hurt anymore. So we just did our own little mission and we snuck away and went over to the tractor and we're just looking around to try to piece it together like a puzzle. And my sister went around to the front side. I talk about this in that chapter. And I went to the back and I looked up and it was like she was waving at me. It was like, hey, I'm here. Proof of my existence is right here. I, I did exist. And to me, it was so beautiful because she did exist. And her gray, beautiful hair, which she always got compliments on, it was naturally wavy and curly and so thick. And some of it was still there in that tractor's tread, that tread of that tire. And it was like she was waving at me like, I was here. It's okay. I'm okay. And it was, it was raw. It was gut-wrenching. It was all those acronyms, but it was also beautiful. It was beautiful because her existence, she was still here and she was letting me know that was just one of the first signs that I'm okay. It's like she was waving by to me. Wow. That is, that's unbelievable. Theo, thank you for sharing tonight. Uh, just one last thought from you. What would you say to people that if they've gone through the worst pain in their life this week and they're watching tonight to try to get through, what would your quick word of wisdom be for them? Talk it out. Talk it out. Find a friend, find a fence post, your dog, your cat. Just talk it out or get out a piece of paper and journal it. That's what helped me. But I know that not yeah, everybody's a writer. So talk it out, talk it into your phone and um, find somebody professional that's trained in your type of grief that is very critical to your healing. Journal it, talk it out. Um, that is the most important thing. Find those true friends and you're going to find out who they really are. Fantastic. Hold your book up one more time. Put it up to the screen if you would. Here it is by Theo Boyd. My grief is not like yours, folks. I promise you, you want this book. You need this book. And there's going to be people in your life that you want to give copies of this book to. Theo, thank you so much for being with us tonight. And the best way is probably Amazon. Amazon, yes. And, our, and my website, thinktheo.com. You can get it on there and I'll autograph it and mail it to you. Okay, what, what's that website? Thinktheo.com. T-H-I-N-K-T-H-E-O. ThinkTheo.com, and that is the title of your podcast, correct? It is, and it's my Facebook page where I blog regularly, ThinkTheo. Oh, fantastic. I, I'd love to come on your program and talk. Uh, so if you ever need a guest and you run behind with somebody, give me a buzz. I'd, I'd love to, to come and chat with you on your show. Thank you so much. Theo, thank you, and uh, i got to have you come back because I didn't get through one of my four pages. Uh, oh, I hope we can get you back. Well, I'd love to. Thanks for the opportunity. And those of you out there hurting, it's going to be okay. Tomorrow's another day. Thank you very much so.
You know, I appreciate it, Theo. Like we always do every single show, always like to close with the thought, no matter what you have experienced, and I think you've seen that tonight, you've heard about this tonight, no matter what you may experience tomorrow, no matter what you're going to face in the weeks to come, I want to let you know, there's always, always hope. Hang on to that hope. Look for that hope. Dig your heels into that hope and never give up. Join us right here next week for another edition of Breaking the Silence. And between now and then, get this book, download it tonight, order it tonight. You will not regret it. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week. We'll see you next week. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.